Thanks for tuning into Journey. Everyone is welcome at the table. We are a community being shaped by Jesus, experiencing and practicing humility, curiosity, belonging, and generosity. We hope to be a people who embrace the way of Jesus by listening first, speaking second, loving freely, and giving generously. All right, so today, um, here's what's going to happen. I have um, a message that I want to share with you and welcome your feedback into also. The journey is a place where we welcome questions, and no question is off the table. And we do that because we have questions, too. So me standing up here on this stage, um, I have just as many questions, maybe even more sometimes, than, than all of you. And so we really believe that we learn from each other in this space, and that's what it's meant to be. So there will be a time at the end of the message where if you have questions, you can certainly raise your hand or you can text in a question. Um, and then after that, we'll go ahead and continue um, worshiping the music and receiving the Lord's Supper. So I want to share with you a little bit about what caused me to ask a lot of questions this week and what kind of messed with me this week. Um, we had the table last Sunday for, for this month, and we hosted one at our house. And you can reserve your judgment, but we watched the Grammys at my table. So um, we, we did have really great conversation, and, and we got to know each other, but we had the Grammys playing on TV also because I'm a sucker for a good red carpet. So did anybody else watch it? Okay. So I'm so glad because the 9 o'clock service, they're way too holy. I was the only one who, who watched. It was a little, anyway. Um, so, okay, so we watched the, the, the Grammys, and there was this one performance by Sam Smith and Kim Petras that, like, Christian social media went nuts over this week. And I was like, I noticed it all on my, on my timelines of various forms, and I thought to myself, like, what? first thing I thought to myself was, what's wrong with me? Like, I didn't even, like, I didn't freak out about this. Like, do I have a seared conscience? Has my heart hardened? Like, what is going on with me that this didn't bother me? Maybe it's because we just studied Revelation, and if the enemy's going to come after me, I know he's not going to come in a red outfit with horns, so it didn't bother me at all. But people were, I mean, people were so upset, and they were, you know, calling it from all things like devil worship and the world, and we're never going to watch the Grammys again, and this is what happens when we listen. I mean, all the things, right? So I was really confused, and I was like, gosh, like, we're not supposed to sit in judgment of the world. I mean, what did you expect, for them all to come up and sing worship songs? I mean, Maverick City Music did. They did. But no, I mean, that's not what we ought to expect from the culture around us. So I started, you know, I went down the rabbit hole online and started reading about all the things. And then I came across something that has been haunting me all week. It turns out that Kim Petras was interviewed backstage at the Grammys. And her words, I have not been able to shake them all week. And I want to share them with you because she was interviewed about the song and about the controversy. And here's what she had to say. It was inspired by not feeling accepted by religion. I think a lot of people, honestly, have kind of labeled what I stand for and what Sam stands for as religiously not cool. And I personally grew up wondering about religion and wanting to be part of it, but slowly realizing it didn't want me to be part of it, she said. 
So it's a take on not being able to choose religion and not being able to live the way that people might want you to live because I'm already not wanted in religion. Had I had the chance to be part of religion, I maybe would have, and maybe I would have lived the way that people who protest my concerts would want me to live. Yeah. I mean, you can call that conviction of the Holy Spirit. You can say she discipled me this week. I mean, where, whatever you want to call it, like I could not shake it, you know, because I'm like, I have been both the victim and the purveyor of a culture that excludes people and that, that doesn't, that, that acts as a hindrance for people who want to come near, who are curious about Jesus. I have been part of that. You know, I can tell you all kinds of ways I've been victim to it, but you know, she's probably young enough to be my daughter. Let's not talk about that. But when she experienced that, I probably was in that same camp of like, you know, like we just gotta like preserve something or protect something or whatever it is. But the bottom line is she wanted to be a part of something that I consider amazing and she was left out of it. So today we're gonna be in Mark 7 and it's a, it's a, it's a chunk of scripture where Jesus is calling out the Pharisees on their hip, hypocrisy and calling out the disciples for just being dumb. We've been doing that the last couple of weeks. Um, but it really kind of moves us to, to look at our own lives and our own what we've been part of and, and really let the scripture read us as a community of people who are meant to represent Jesus, right? So before we get into Mark 7, I want to go to Acts 10. Mike always starts in Genesis. I'm starting in Acts. So... Here's what happens in Acts 10. Well, here's what you need to know, first of all. Mark was written by John Mark. And it's thought that, that the writings in Mark are actually Peter's reflections of his experience with Jesus. And so when we go to Acts, Acts was actually written before Mark. And when we go to Acts and we see this exchange we're about to, to look into between Peter and Cornelius, it sort of informs how Mark would have written this interaction in Mark. So if you go to Acts chapter 10, if you have a Bible or a Bible app, um, this is the story of Peter and Cornelius. Cornelius was a centurion um, of the Italian cohort, and he, it says, what it says about him, he was a Gentile, and he was a devout man who feared God with all his household, and he gave alms generously to the people and prayed constantly to God. But Cornelius was a Gentile. And so what you need to know about our setting in this is that at this point in time, the Jews and the Gentiles did not like each other. Jews especially did not like the Gentiles. They were actually disgusted by them and they would call them unclean. And so this was like a ethnic sort of prejudice that they had against the Gentiles. And there was constant division between them and things that separated them from the Gentiles. So this guy, Cornelius, he's a Gentile, but he loves God and he prays and he gives and he's generous. Well, Cornelius is praying one day and he hears the voice of an angel and the angel says, hey, Cornelius, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial to God. 
Now send men to Joppa for a certain Simon who's called Peter, as he's lodging with Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. So he's like, okay, I got to send for this guy, and somehow this guy has something to say to me. Meanwhile, Simon Peter, called Peter, he is going up to the rooftop of the house that he's staying at, and he goes into some kind of trance, and there's a sheet that comes down from heaven with all these animals on it. Just roll with it. And then he hears the voice of an angel saying, Peter, get up, kill, and eat. And so Peter's thinking this is all about food. And he's like, I'm not going to eat anything that's unclean. And the angel says to him, don't call what God has created unclean. So then all of a sudden, the guys from Caesarea show up and say, hey, our boss wants you to come with us. Would you come with us? And Peter's like, yeah, totally. This was, this was kind of, I, I got the hint about this. I'm coming with you. So they go to Caesarea, and he walks in the door, and this is his opening line. You yourselves know that it is unlawful for a Jew to associate with or to visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone profane or unclean. That's kind of awkward. Like, how would you feel if someone walked into your house and said, hey, you know, like, we're not really supposed to hang out, but God's kind of shown me that, you know, maybe you're not so bad, right? So he says, when I was sent for, I came without objection. Now, may I ask why you sent for me? So Cornelius replies, four days ago in this very house at three o'clock, I was praying in my house when suddenly a man in dazzling clothes stood before me and he said, Cornelius, your prayers have been heard, blah, 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 send for Peter. And then he says, okay, so I've got my family, my neighbors, everybody here, we're all ears. What do you have to say to us? And so Peter's like, wow, like, it's kind of, I understand that God has shown no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. So suddenly these walls of hostility between Jews and Gentiles are being busted open. And where a, a space where a Jewish person wouldn't have entered in and participated in fellowship with somebody, those walls are coming down and Peter's seeing like, wow, this is what's happening. Maybe this is what Jesus meant when he told us to go to the ends of the earth and to tell people about him. So that's the setup. Oh, and then what happens is he, you know, he tells them all about Jesus, tells them that he died, he rose again on the third day, and then all of a sudden the Holy Spirit comes and falls upon the whole place, and they all start speaking in tongues, and the believers that came with Peter are like, whoa, like obviously God shows no, no partiality. But then they go back. They go back to where they came from, and it says the apostles in chapter 11, it says, they, they, they say to Peter, Peter, why did you go to uncircumcised men and eat with them? Why did you go to the Gentiles? And so then Peter goes into the whole thing. Well, I had this dream, and then this guy had a dream, and then this all happened, and it was crazy. And then they say to him, at the end, they say, they praised God, it says. They praised God saying, then God has given even to the Gentiles the repentance that leads to life. Yeah, it's so good. So that's the setup, right? So then we get to Mark chapter 7. Fire it up. Okay, Mark chapter 7, verse 1. The Pharisees 
and some of the teachers of the law, other, otherwise known as scribes, who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. So these guys traveled 80 miles, 80 miles to go confront a bunch of teenagers about the fact that they haven't washed their hands before they ate. Now, if you get anything out of this message today, it is wash your hands before you eat because it's good for you, but it doesn't make you unclean or despicable to God or anyone else, mostly. <clears throat> so then it says, the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come in from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash, and they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? So this is really interesting because there's three times in the book of Mark where the Pharisees come and confront Jesus on stuff, and it's about food every time. Why don't your disciples fast like ours do? Why does he eat with sinners and tax collectors? And that's because table fellowship was so important to this culture, and it still is. And it's, that's why it's important to us. Who you ate with, what you ate, the manner in which you ate, all of those things were really important because they told what you think about God and what kind of a person you are. So they were super judgmental about it. Why do your, why do your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? So they're, they're coming down on them because they're not keeping tradition. The law, Torah, doesn't say that everyone has to wash their hands before they eat. Only the priests have to wash their hands before they eat. So they're coming in here and making a huge deal out of tradition to the point where they're elevating it like it's the law, right? So Jesus replies, man, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips but their hearts are far from me. You all act like you love God. You all act like you're doing the right thing, and you're so busy with all your religious behavior, but you don't actually love God. And then he says, they worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. How many of us in this room have experienced some condemnation by people who teach human rules instead of the way God lives? You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. And he continued, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, honor your mother and father, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is korban, so what he's saying is, you break the actual law to uphold your tradition. The actual law is that we're responsible to care for and love and honor our mother and father. And this word korban is taking something and setting aside as holy. And he's saying the money and the provision that you're supposed to use to help your family, you've set it aside and called it holy so that you don't have to fulfill your obligation. That's in the law. It's shady. So he says, uh, 
<clears throat> you say that anyone declares what might have been used to help their father and mother. You no longer let them do anything for their father and mother. Thus, you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And you do many things like that. This is just one example of what they do. So he calls them out on their hypocrisy. And then he goes to the crowd and he says, listen to me, everyone, and understand. Listen and understand. Hear and perceive. Hear and understand. Nothing outside of a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it's what comes out of a person that defiles them. Wash your hands or don't wash your hands. It doesn't make you unclean. What makes you unclean is everything that originates inside of you and comes out and harms people. That's what defiles you. So after he left the crowd, he entered the house, and his disciples asked him again about this parable. And he says, are you so dull? <laughs> In the NRS, NRSV, it says, do you also not understand? <laughs> so this is just like where we were with the parable of the sower a few weeks ago. They hear, but they don't understand. They see, but they don't perceive. So he goes on to explain to them because Jesus is loving and patient. He says, don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? He gives them a little anatomy lesson. For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach and then out the body. In saying this, Jesus declares all foods clean. So I want you to pay attention to the fact that this is in parentheses, and it's super interesting because, again, Mark is making a comment on something that Peter experienced. So this takes us back to Acts 10 when he goes and he eats with the Gentiles, right? So the issue of food, it's not the issue of food because this is written to an audience of Jews and Gentiles, mostly Gentile believers. So the laws about food that were in Torah were meant for the Jews to set them apart from everyone else. Holy means set apart. It doesn't mean better than, okay? So it's to set them apart from the other nations that were around them so that people would know that those Jewish people worship Yahweh and not all the other gods that the people around them were worshiping. The Gentiles, they didn't have to abide by that. So food in and of itself was not unclean. The Gentiles could eat all the bacon that they wanted to, and it was going to be fine. So then he goes on and says, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from the inside and defile a person. Again, he's saying what matters isn't so much your outward behavior and, and your appearance. It's what's inside of you. Jesus is after our hearts. And then he thinks that what he says that what happens in your heart will then come out of you, whether it's good or bad. So let me have your heart. Turn your heart towards me so that what comes out of you will be good and a reflection of me. The heart in biblical language is, you know, it's much more about the mind than it is the way we think about heart. The heart was the seat place of the origin of our thoughts. The heart is the seat place of emotions and thoughts and where our will comes from. That's why Jesus places such importance 
on the heart. Elsewhere in Matthew, he says, out of the overflow of your heart, the mouth speaks. Proverbs 4.23 says, guard your heart, because out of it, everything comes out of that. It's the wellspring of life. So then he gives this list of vices that kind of fall. It's a bunch of ways that we act out in, in um, what we know of in the law. Greed, envy, adultery, like all those things. These are all attitudes of the heart and actions that come out of breaking that from within. So then this sets us up for this really great moment because Jesus is like, if you don't get it when I say it, I'm going to show it to you. So they travel far. They go up to this area called Syrophoenicia. And they meet a woman in this Gentile territory called Tyre. Tyre, if you go, if you do like a little search in the Bible on Tyre, and you'll quickly find that Jewish people hated everyone in Tyre. It was enemy territory. Nothing good for them was in Tyre, and they would never set foot in there. But Jesus always found his way to Gentile territory so that he could kind of find a place to chill out and rest because people weren't coming at him going, hey, are you the king of the Jews? Are you the king of the Jews? And he, he got to just rest there. So he goes to Tyre, and it says, he left that place, went to the vicinity of Tyre, and he entered a house and didn't want anyone to know it because Jesus needs to take a break. Yet he could not keep his presence a secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose daughter was possessed by an impure spirit came and fell at his feet. She comes and she falls at his feet in an attitude of worship. She postures herself immediately to worship him. She hears and she understands. Matthew actually gives us a little bit more fullness to it because it says in there, um, she calls out to him, son of David. So she knows something. She, she has some kind of insight about who he is. She falls at his feet and she begs him because she has a daughter who's possessed with an impure spirit. She begs Jesus to drive the demon out of her. Now in Matthew again, at this point, it says the disciples were super annoyed and told Jesus to send her away because she kept coming after him. So if you're a parent, you understand what it is to be begged for something. Please, please, please can I have that candy? Please, please, please can I stay up an hour later? Please, 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 over and over and over again. And I, I used to have to tell my kids, asked and answered. It's like a nice way of saying other things. But... You know, like it's over and over again and it's grating and it's annoying and that's how the disciples were feeling about this woman. But she, she knew something about who Jesus was and she had nothing to lose. This woman was as much on the outside as you could possibly get in this day and time. She was a woman, she was a foreigner, she was a Gentile, and for sure she was unclean because she's hanging out with her daughter all the time who has an impure spirit. So this is as far outside the lines as you can get. But she comes and she doesn't hesitate. She finds him. She gets into the house and she begs Jesus. So what does Jesus say? First let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take 
the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Did Jesus just call her a dog? <laughs> yes, he did. <clears throat> but she quickly comes back and she says, Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he tells her, for such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. So she went home and she found her child laying on the bed and the demon gone. Okay, so we got to talk about the fact that Jesus calls this woman a dog. <laughs> so when we read this in America 2023, we read this, first of all, and we see that he's calling her a dog, and we're like, whoa, like that's not cool, right? When this was being presented to the audience of mostly Gentile believers, they were illiterate. So first of all, they weren't reading it, they were hearing it. And this is an idiom that's being used in this time in this place that serves differently than it does for us. So there's all sorts of different theories and beliefs about what this is. Like some people think like he was just straight up being the Jewish human person that he was and using a word that Jewish people use for Gentiles. So while that may be the case, I don't think that Jesus would purposefully be derogatory to a woman, especially a woman that he traveled all that way to see. That doesn't line up with everything else that we know about Jesus in the Bible, right? So I don't really buy that one. Some people think it's a, um, the word that's used for dog is different than, there's two different words for dog, and some people think that this one means like cute little puppy. I think that's just trying to make things nice. <laughs> and if you read the rest of Mark, Jesus isn't really worried about being super nice. So that doesn't really make sense to me too. But what really does make sense to me is that he calls her, he says that, he goes, first let the children eat because he was saying he came for Israel first and then the Gentiles and then the world, right? But what I think he's doing is he's saying, let, let the children eat and, and not give their food to the dogs. That wouldn't be good. And she dishes it right back to him. And she's like, but even the dogs eat what the children drop on the ground. And I think Jesus loved this woman for her chutzpah. He loved the fact that she was going to be relentless. She was going to find her way to him. She was going to be persistent. She was not going to let anything outward get in the way of her coming to her Savior without even knowing that she needed a Savior. And so the disciples are schooled big time. Like, you can't get in the way of a Savior and the people that he loves. You can't get in the way. So what does this mean for us, guys? When I think about Kim Petras, I think about all the ways that we have been an obstacle to her coming to Jesus. We being a huge sweeping generalization, right? So if you're in here, you know, you might be you might be somebody who's just curious about Jesus right now. And what I want you to hear is that Jesus doesn't leave people out. But unfortunately, we have. And so if you're here and you're a disciple, you're a follower of Christ, you know, the question is what kind of systems and traditions have we been a part of that have excluded people? Anybody got any questions at this point? 
You're Justina. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't be. Thank you, Tim. Thank you, Tim. Okay, I'll let go. Um, I didn't become a Christian until I was 27. I didn't grow up in a Christian home. And for the longest time, I didn't think I could ever become a Christian because I didn't think I'd ever be good enough because I had done things mm-hmm. that according to whatever I shouldn't. And I honestly, I was at a retreat with a friend. I'd been trying to go to church, different churches, and the speaker was talking about Adam and Eve and original sin, and he just said, face it, you never will be good enough. That's why you need Jesus. And it just, for so many years, I was like pushed to believe that I just would never be good enough to enter into that. And I can imagine that that, in a lot of ways, is how Kim has felt. Thank you. Anybody else? Okay. I'm going to flip the script a little bit and then ask you a question. So you can take a minute and think about it, but I'd like you to talk back to me and we'll repeat what you say for those that are online. Everybody in this room knows somebody who might even say that they love Jesus, but they don't want to have anything to do with his people. Why? What are the ways that we have been victim? Because I know there's people in this room who barely made it here this morning, and if this doesn't go well, they're not coming back at all. (laughs) Right? So what are the ways that we've been victims and purveyors of these things that keep people from coming to Jesus. Yeah. Street life. Reckless, growing. I got to repeat what you say because the people online, they get really irritated when they can't hear. Reckless street life. Did a lot of drugs? So I like I grew up in a church and, and my parents sort of like fell away, um, not because they didn't believe, um, because like to me they were like they were like the pinnacle of who Yeshua was. Like they didn't I never seen them smoke, I never seen them drink, I never seen them never heard them cuss, none of that. Um, but they just like fell away and then so did I, obviously. Um, but as I came back um, coming out of jail and deciding I wanted to come back to church. I recognize that I was an outsider. I recognize, oh, these people have money. These people have affluence. These people have influence, you know, and and I didn't have any of that. And for me, it made me feel um, very unwanted because there was all these little groups, you know, there's there's the prayer group and there's the worship team and there's all these little groups. And coming into the church, you know, it was like, it was just me. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, okay, you know, like, where do you start? And even if someone does like talk to you or say hi to you, if they're not, like, inviting you over to the house and showing you, like, the love, you know, of Christ and, like, like you guys do the table and, like, having people come to your house and, and fellowshipping, you really don't feel the love, you know. You don't get to see that love until you really get around a community like you guys. Like, even, I'll even go as far to say this. Like, me and my wife have been to many, many churches, and, like, this is, this church is so different from any other community um, that I've ever been around. 
Um, so, like, for me, I can say, like, I've definitely been a victim of, you know, that that mm-hmm. very that, that situation that you're talking about. And I don't think it's it's not that, like, us as, you know, people mean to do that. I believe it's it's what it says in the word. It says something about, you know, for we fight not against flesh and blood. And we yeah. fight against things, these things that we don't see, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's one of the bigger problems. But, you know, as a person, we don't. You, you don't come in knowing that. You yeah. know, now I know that, so I'm able to, like, discern that and say, oh, well, it's not them, you know what I'm saying? Like, they're literally being attacked by demons and these other entities. But coming into that, you don't recognize that, so you feel very unwanted, and it's like, why would I be around people yeah. who judge me? So. Well, we're glad you're here, Lou. I think that, you know, when you're wounded in community... you're healed in community. The best way to be healed from your wounds from community is is to come and be healed in community. And that takes a lot of bravery and a lot of courage. So I think by speaking this stuff out, what are the ways that we have been part of something that leaves people out? What are ways that we have been agents of hindrance to Jesus? I think people in this room need to hear that. So come on, what are some ways? To try to find your place. Okay, so there's, uh, (laughs) you, you just go to a number of churches, you'll find clicks, and you'll try to, find your place and I think a lot of times if you don't align with people's ideas and their pursuits you tend to have a struggle trying to find your place yeah I think that's where we kind of alienate each other and I that's the biggest thing I think is the issue for like when we talk about church as in as in a whole is the the separation within it you know the the hierarchy and that's that's a hard thing to try and figure out how to from a psychological point or even from a humanistic point to try and figure out how to fix that. But I think it starts with love and acceptance and, and just being able to take time to listen to each other. Yeah, that's a good But that's, that's the key is time. Do you have time to listen? That's good. Thank you. Yes. I think the big one for me is church previously felt like more going to learn like a formula of how to be good or bad in that um, it was it was less about the relationship a lot of times going to church was like here's eight words that start with a P from all over the Bible that will teach you to be a better person this week (laughs) and it's just it's truly missing the relationship and then also a lot of times I feel like you know I was, Christianity was kind of shown to me as more of like a discipline and you know it's like there's discipline and then there's all the fun things in life yeah. and it didn't blend the fact that you know a relationship with God gives you a freedom and a peace and a true joy that you wouldn't get anywhere else yeah the kingdom of God is meant to be a place where you flourish yeah, yeah. that's it that's good Yeah. I don't think it's going to be bad. (laughs) Um, I think for me, it was 
would see how they were. And I thought, I, if they found out the truth about me, I'm putting on my shiny exterior for y'all as I'm walking in and trying to figure this out. And if you actually find out the truth, you're going to reject me. And I think that's what it was like for a really long time. Mm -hmm. Thanks. I retired um, after 25 years from the Sheriff's Department, and I had a lot of opportunities throughout those years to actually bring the word to people. And what I found mostly was the relatability aspect was difficult. Mm -hmm. And so people oftentimes come to church and they're looking for this relatable feeling and it's something that they think, oh, I fit in and I click with this and stuff. But what I found for myself was my own individual faith and living out my faith made me relatable to one individual. And that's what God uses is us as individuals to reach out to these people. Because when they come to church, you're not going to feel accepted. When we first got here, we started out at Brentwood Baptist. We felt a little bit different. We felt, you know, we're not Southern Baptist. We're not really feeling the same vibe as everything else. <clears throat> then we found Journey. Our son goes here to school. But long story short, it wasn't about finding the perfect fit. Um, it was about uh, it was about our individual Mm -hmm. faith and our individual approach towards that. And so for the gentleman that was speaking about how he wasn't, you know, he didn't feel that through th so many churches and stuff like that, you oftentimes will not get a relatable feeling from a church. You know, so as, as individuals, we must live out our faith because if I spoke to that man one-on-one -on -one and he felt a relationship with me, then that's how he would come to know yeah. this church. Thank that's you. That's what I think is the important part. When I was um, first a Christian in the like the 80s and the 90s, there was like all this um, tension in churches and past, there's some pastors who lost their jobs because they didn't want to have a choir anymore. So we would have like traditional service and contemporary service because music was leaving people out on both, both ends of the spectrum, right? Um, when, uh, you know, at my last church, when women got or men even, when, when a divorce happened, there was no casserole ministry, right? When, when, when people got divorced, they would feel like they had to leave because their status changed and there was all kinds of judgment over the nature of the divorce. It provided a hindrance for people to come and be with the people of God and to heal. I mean, the stories can go on and on and on, and I was part of that. Brett. <laughs> uh, I grew up in a culture that was very much about here's, here's three things we know about God, mm -hmm. and it was always what we know about God. Was it, did they all start with a P? Yeah, <laughs> P. Um, and it was never the mystery mm -hmm. and trying to understand and what we don't know. Um, and as you can hear, I'm not from this country. I'm a citizen now, whoop, whoop. Um, my wife is ah, multicultural, Danish, French. Uh, we, so, so all that said is I now live in a, uh, a world of, as an Aussie, I had, a, I had a cultural understanding that was grounded in an Aussie experience. Mm -hmm. and, and until I pulled myself self up out of that 
cultural experience and put myself in another cultural experience, I was not forced to have to understand mm -hmm. that this is not how everybody lives. Right. There are other ways people live and for them that's normal. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I'm sad about that, that there's been times that I've judged because that was my normal. Yeah. And to be in, a, in an environment where we're challenged to, to place ourselves in another person's shoes, mm -hmm. or at least try. It's one of the reasons why I so believe in travel. Even just travel up the road. Mm -hmm. You don't have to go to another country. Yeah, it breeds empathy. Yeah, you, yeah. you're forced to wrestle and, and mm -hmm. recognize that not everyone's like me. Yeah. And not everyone thinks like me. Um, I, I, I love that posture that we embrace a journey mm -hmm. and that the table offers to us. Yeah. That, that, that experience of learning. Yeah. I'm here to learn and to listen yeah. more than to speak. And that's why I love the table. Because, you know, these, these things that happened in scripture, these stories happened over food, over eating together, over sharing a meal together. When you share a meal with somebody, it totally levels the playing field. When you share a meal with somebody, it somehow takes your relationship to the next level. I mean, I shared a meal with some people I don't even know last night, and they're here because we hang out now. <laughs> You know, I mean, it just does that. There's something powerful in that. Um, we got one more, and then I, I think I probably have to close or else I'll get in trouble. I'll make it as short as I can. Yeah. Um, I'm going to share kind of the outside perspective again, kind of go back to that. Um, I, as well, came into my faith later in my life. And when I first moved to Nashville, which was over 15 years ago, almost 20 years ago, um, I was surrounded by people who were constantly saying, oh, I'll pray for you, and what church do you go to? And it made me feel incredibly uncomfortable, partly because a lot of those same people, I was experiencing what I considered very un-godlike um, activities. Touche. Um, and just the way that they treated people uh, made me uncomfortable. I was raised in a house where you do unto others as you would have you know, done unto mm -hmm. you, even though we didn't go to church. Yeah. And so um, I was very hesitant to associate myself with Christianity because what I saw made me so uncomfortable. Yeah. And so it wasn't until I met my now husband and we found Journey even before you did, Susie. <laughs> um, it's not a competition. I know, right? <laughs> um, but that was the tipping point for me yeah. where I found um, a very inclusive experience and something that wasn't as hypocritical as what I was seeing my whole life. Amazing. Well... I'm probably going to do something super hypocritical. We all are sometime soon. I'm sure that there will be something all of us may say or do that will feel exclu excluding to someone else, may even cause harm to someone else. I mean, I, I hesitate talking about stuff like this sometimes. And even when we talk about like issues of race and things like that, I'm always so afraid of causing more harm than what's already been done. 
But I think that's the beauty of that Jesus invites us to follow him, to learn from him, to come to him, to repent, to confess, all those things because over and over again, he's doing this restorative work in us, over and over again. I mean, we have thrown so much shade at these poor disciples the last couple of weeks, but what's amazing is that they eventually get it. You know, it takes Jesus dying and them seeing him resurrected and the Holy Spirit coming upon them, and they get it. And thousands of people begin to get it because they finally did. And they build the church that we are still part of thousands of years ago. So God is patient with us. And somebody in this room needs to hear that like that Syrophoenician woman who had nothing to lose, she came and begged and asked Jesus for what she needed. And so some of us in this room need to know that there's nothing about you that keeps you from going to Jesus and asking for what you need. So the band's going to come back up, and we're going to sing um, three songs, and the stations are open. And, you know, we, do, we practice communion here every week together because I think we speak for Jesus when he says, Come. And he says, come, whether your hands are clean or dirty, just come. Come and receive what I offer you with what's represented here with the bread and the wine. I'm offering you a new way of being, a new way of thinking, a new way of relating to the world, a new way of being with me is what he says. And so we come to the table and you might, you might, have been disrupted or annoyed or whatever feelings you might be holding in your body right now about anything that was said today. And so I would say in this time when we get to sing and pray and, and reflect, maybe kind of get curious about those feelings and maybe ask how, how have I personally been a part of um, perpetuating what how the world sees us as Christians. Because there's no way that we're all the right ones in here. I mean, I know like we're a great church, but like we don't have it all together. This is not a perfect church. There is no perfect church. I'm sorry if you thought you would find one here. You know? So where, where am I responsible and what can I share with God? And how can I let him into my heart and bring transformation to my heart, not clean up my behavior or my words, but how can God transform my heart so that I can then transmit healing to humankind? Because that's what it's going to take. Only God can do that, but that's what he's about. So if you would, hold your hands open for a minute and you can keep your eyes open or closed. Just as in a, in a posture of receiving Receive the Holy Spirit, the comforter, the shepherd of your soul. God, would you speak to us? Would you minister deeply to our hearts? Would you reach in and form us to be more like you? more like how we see you being in the pages of scripture 
and less like our traditions and the way of life we've been accustomed to with our culture. God, help us to be transmitters of healing, of kindness, of love. God, let us not just be people who say everybody is welcome, but let's really help us know what that means. Help us to understand what that means for real. God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for being patient with us. Thank you for meeting every single one of us from the Pharisee to the disciple to the Syrophoenician woman. God, you meet all of us exactly where we are and you promise to bring us along with you. So bring us along, Jesus.